from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. It's Wednesday, September 21st. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. In a surprise to many, a judge vacated the murder conviction of Adnan Syed, who had been serving a life sentence for the murder of his former high school girlfriend, Hey Min Lee. Syed was the subject of the hit podcast, Serial. An investigation found that prosecutors failed to turn over evidence that could have helped him and pointed to two possible alternative suspects. Michael Levinson, reporter at the New York Times, joined us for What's Next. Prosecutors have 30 days to drop charges or try him again. Next, Uber has announced that it was the latest victim of the hacking group Lapsus, which broke into their internal network systems and posted messages to employees. This international group of hackers, which includes some teenagers in their ranks, have been motivated by notoriety more so than money, and have targeted other top tech companies in the past year. Bob McMillan, reporter at the Wall Street Journal, joins us for what to know about lapses. Finally, an influential U.S. task force has called for routine anxiety screenings by primary care clinicians in adults aged 19 to 64. This follows a similar recommendation for children and teens 8 to 18. The recommendations were made to raise awareness for mental health and catch the signs which can go undetected for years. Rachel Zimmerman, contributor to the Washington Post, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. One of the alternative suspects was violent towards a woman and forcibly confined her before Adnan Saeed's trial. The other suspect has had a history of sexual assault. Joining us now is Michael Levinson, reporter at the New York Times. Thanks for joining us, Michael. Thank you. Well, on Monday, we got some pretty interesting news. A judge decided to vacate the murder conviction of Adnan Syed. So he had been serving a life sentence for the 1999 murder of his high school classmate and girlfriend, Hey Min Lee. He was a subject of the Serial podcast, which, you know, millions of people heard. It kind of even spurred the whole podcast movement. A lot of interesting stuff came out of that. What we're seeing now is that the judge has given prosecutors 30 days to proceed with a new trial or drop the case completely. I know this took a lot of people by shock. So, Michael, tell us a little bit about what we're learning from this. Sure. It really did shock a lot of people because, you know, prosecutors have spent 20 years standing by these charges and defending them through all sorts of legal twists and turns. And then beginning last week, they filed a motion to vacate the conviction. And they said that they had, over the last year or so, worked with Mr. Syed's own lawyer to reinvestigate the case and had 
no longer had any confidence in the conviction. They said they had discovered two possible alternative suspects who may have been involved and discovered information that was never turned over to Mr. Syed's own lawyers that could have helped him at trial. And that's a, a violation of their legal duty and reason enough to question the conviction. So there was all sorts of problems in the original investigation that they had uncovered. And they said they just can't stand by it anymore. And they're questioning it and they believe it needs to be overturned. And the judge on Monday agreed. Yeah, the whole thing, and you know, obviously, we, as I mentioned, it'd be, it was chronicled in the serial podcast. There was an HBO special about it as well. Just a lot of mm-hmm. unreliable witness statements, unreliable cell phone mm-hmm. evidence is what they also pointed to. The timeline yep. was murky. And as you mentioned, now these two possible alternative suspects. So that's the new thing here. What do we know about these suspects? What we know is that they were known to the investigators when they were first looking into this crime back in 1999. So they're not new characters that hadn't been investigated, but they had not been properly ruled out. And one of them was overheard saying he would kill Ms. Lee and that he would make her disappear. And both of these suspects also have criminal records, including convictions for rape, sexual assault. Ms. Lee's car was also found near a family member of one of the suspects. So there's all sorts of evidence pointing, according to prosecutors, to these two suspects who may have had motive and means to kill Ms. Lee. And police actually have opened an investigation looking into these two suspects now. So the next step, prosecutors can uh, either try him again or drop the charges completely. Uh, Apparently, they're waiting on some type of DNA analysis before they decide what's going to happen there. That's right. Um, Marilyn Mosby, the state's attorney for Baltimore City, said yesterday that they're looking for some DNA results before they make their final determination on whether to proceed with a new trial or just drop the charges. So we'll wait to see what comes out of that. It's hard to imagine that they could proceed with a new trial after they detailed all of the problems with the case in their own filings. They've basically sided with the defense in questioning the whole basis for their case. So it would be very hard to bring it to a trial again, unless something really surprising happens with these DNA results or we see some huge shift over the next 30 days. The family of Ms. Lee has been speaking out in all of this too, because, you know, all of this has been kept pretty tightly, obviously, you know, no one wants to throw all their cards out at once. And so the Ms. Lee's brother has spoken out about this saying, you know, this is a never ending nightmare for 20 plus years. They're not very happy with what's going on right now. Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah, Ms. Lee's brother spoke at the hearing yesterday via Zoom, and he was asking the judge not to reject the petition to throw out the conviction, but to delay it, to give, to postpone it, so basically saying we haven't had enough time to absorb this, to respond. He said we feel blindsided by it, and we feel betrayed by it. You know, we've been hearing from the prosecutors for 20 years that they stand by this case, they defend it, and then all of a sudden we hear just over the last couple of days that they no longer have confidence in it. So it's just been incredibly painful whiplash for the family. And, you know, he said, this is not a podcast for me. This is a nightmare, like you said, that I've been living for 20 plus years. And he said, it's killing me and it's killing my mother. So obviously an incredible amount of pain for the family. At the same time, they didn't formally oppose the motion to vacate. They said they believe in the justice system and they believe that an investigation should proceed. Yeah. I mean, uh, just a tough position for the family. Obviously, they want closure at this point, mm-hmm. and they haven't been getting it, as, as her brother mentioned, for 20 years. Now, and, and just right. a, another uh, interesting thing of all this is, you know, how do we get here, right? He's been convicted. You know, it's been going back and forth so much. But there's a Maryland law 
that was adopted uh, that allows people convicted of crimes as juveniles to request that their sentences be modified after they served 20 years in prison. Uh, Adnan Syed has served over 20 years now, and he went in when he was 18, I believe, but this happened when he was 17. So this is one of the mechanisms that kind of allowed us to get here. That's right. So although, you know, podcasters and, you know, HBO shows and, and a book have, and others have been, you know, looking into this case, the prosecutors didn't really take it up until this petition was brought to them last year by Mr. Syed's lawyer saying he deserves to have his sentence looked at again because he did go in as a juvenile and he served 20 years. And, you know, as this petition was brought to them, prosecutors start to look into the question of, okay, what is his culpability in this case? You know, what what is proper in terms of a sentence? And do we want to seek a modification? As they begin to dive deeper into the case, the doubts and questions begin to come up even more. And they go through the old files. They discover these old files pointing to these two alternative suspects. And it opens up a you know can of worms, for lack of a better phrase, in the yeah. whole case. And they begin, it begins to fall apart. And they ask the judge to vacate this conviction. Michael Levinson, reporter at The New York Times. Thank you very much for joining us. All right. Thank you very much. Take care. A lot of the people in this group have come from this world and they've somehow morphed into an entity that's taking on the best and the brightest of technology <laughs> and winning. It's, re it's really remarkable. Joining us now is Bob McMillan, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Bob. Hi, Oscar. Well, over the past year, we've seen some of the biggest tech companies be hit by a group of hackers. Um, you know, they've gotten into a lot of their internal stuff and caused some havoc, obviously. A lot of them in these cases are teenagers. We're looking at a group called Lapsus. And, you know, we're bringing it up again. Obviously, we just heard on Monday that Uber had been hacked. This group gained access to their internal systems. They posted messages to employees in there. Some of these messages were graphic images. But uh, as I mentioned, this group in particular has hit a lot of big systems like Cisco, Microsoft, uh, NVIDIA was a big one, Okta, Samsung, all of these people they've been hitting. And uh, it's just uh, another, another one in a growing list here. So, Bob, tell us a little bit more about this group and what we're seeing by them. You hear about the Russian nation-state hackers or China trying to steal intellectual property or even ransomware people going for money. And this group, Lapsus, they seem to be after notoriety. It's almost like you turn back the clock to the 90s or the 80s even. Remember that movie War Games where it's like a teenager <laughs> who's like a hacker? I've interviewed some investigators who have been studying this group. for They've been around for just over a year or so. And they say that they really appear to have grown up from a community of, of very young people who are really obsessed with certain types of things they can do online, primarily taking over people's phones, something called SIM swapping, which is like an awful thing if it ever happens to you. Somebody t basically takes over your phone number and uses the fact they have your phone number to then reset all of your online accounts and they can steal cryptocurrency and get into your Gmail. It's awful. A lot of the people in this group have come from this world and they've somehow morphed into an entity that's taking on the best and the brightest of technology <laughs> and winning. It's, re it's really remarkable. A lot of these uh, uh, are younger kids uh, in, in, uh, coming from Brazil and the UK. This is where they seem to be centered at. Yeah, this group Lapsus in particular, when it came on people's radar, it was attacking educational institutions, government organizations in Brazil. And then 
around March, it just went on a rampage and it hit all these big tech companies. But it's hit companies that haven't been publicly named, I understand. And they sort of seem to like a lot of the gaming companies. I mean, it's the kind of thing you imagine if you were a teenager, you know, you get <laughs> yeah. like a lot of street cred for hacking Rockstar or for, you know, another NVIDIA even, is, you know, whose, whose microprocessors are, are widely used in, in video gaming. The other thing about this group is, I mean, they can be very sophisticated themselves, but the operations that they're running are not very very sophisticated. They're really just breaking into a lot of the stuff that kind of we've been using right now for remote work and kind of hacking those types of systems. In the Uber case, it was kind of a, a phishing technique, it seemed like. And um, they said that the attacker might have uh, bought a username and password from an Uber contractor off the dark web. I, I think that's what it was. And so this is how they're getting in. These are not like the most sophisticated techniques. You buy a username and a password from somebody who's selling it on the dark web. And then if you try to get into somebody's account with a username and password, often they'll have a second factor. Like, uh, I don't know if you've ever had these, but sometimes I'll get a push notification. I'll get like right. a window will pop up on my phone and say, are you trying to log in to work right now? Yes or no. And so they're abusing that. And what they did in the Uber case, which is pretty interesting, is they so they buy this username and password, and then they just start sending these notifications. They keep trying to log in over and over and over again. And eventually, the uh, contractor said, yes, like it's me. And it might, I, like, we don't know why that person did that. It might have been that they were just tired of getting all the notifications, or it might have been that they were trying <laughs> to legitimately log in into their own account, and they didn't know whose push notification they were say, saying yes to, and it was the hacker's. It's not like super sophisticated from a technological point of view, but it totally worked. Right. Yeah, that's just that constant barrage of notifications, as you mentioned. And, you know, a lot of cybersecurity experts say that there have been more focused on what they call zero day attacks. So this is exploiting, you know, software bugs, previously unknown software bugs. And that's what a lot of the focus is on right now. So for these guys to kind of come in on this other back door right now is just, uh, you know, surprising them as well. Yeah, and the truth is that there have been a lot of hacks, not even just attributed to lapses, but there have been, you know, the Twitter hack from a couple of years ago was, again, not super sophisticated. It was basically tricking somebody into doing something they shouldn't do. So the Wall Street Journal will occasionally write a story about it as zero day for the iPhone. If the iPhone can be hacked by the super sophisticated technique, you know, that kind of technology can be sold for seven figures, you know, um, you can make a lot of money selling zero days, but you don't need to, to get into some tech companies, right? You could just like trick somebody or annoy them with push messages or it's a big job to secure networks. And there, there are just a lot of ways in nowadays. We're talking about this hacking group Lapsus right now in this latest case with Uber, they got into their internal systems. Did they steal any information? Did they do anything else? Well, Uber says that they're not aware of any personal information, you know, my, you know, my, my, uh, <laughs> my Uber Eats uh, history being a uh, downloader or anything <laughs> like that. Yeah. But this group has propensity for downloading source code. And so I don't, I don't know if they got that from Uber or not, but in a lot of the, the companies that they've hit before they've downloaded, they've gotten in, they've downloaded the source code. And now if you take what the hackers say at face value, they made a couple of statements after they broke into Uber and it sounded from what they were saying, like, they could have gotten anything they wanted. Like they seemed like they had very widespread access to Uber. Uber, So no risk to consumers so far, says Uber. But I don't know, they might have done a little bit more than just put some inappropriate images on the company Slack. Robert McMillan, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us.
My pleasure. Have a nice day. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The thinking is that if you can catch some of these symptoms early, obviously you can connect people to treatment and the greater chance there is to alleviate some of the suffering from a variety of anxiety disorders. Joining us now is Rachel Zimmerman, reporter writing about mental health for The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Rachel. Sure, Oscar. Thanks for having me. Well, this is a first right now. We're seeing a U.S. task force call for routine anxiety screenings in adults. We're looking at the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force there right now sending out draft guidance. Who knows uh, if this will be the final thing, but in a lot of time, this they usually make this an actual recommendation. But right now, like I said, they're uh, saying that adults under the age of 65 should be screened for anxiety. And we all went through the pandemic. We know it was a very tough time for all, but now they're uh, trying to make this a thing. So what do we know about this, Rachel? Yeah, this is a fairly influential group of medical experts. And for the first time, they are recommending that adults under the age of 65 get screened for anxiety. And this guidance is designed really to help primary care doctors identify early signs of anxiety during routine exams using questionnaires and other accepted screening tools. And the thinking is that if you can catch some of these symptoms early, obviously you can connect people to treatment and the greater chance there is to alleviate some of the suffering from a variety of anxiety disorders. Yeah, one of the big things with this is that this often goes unnoticed. Real big anxiety, people just don't get the treatment for it. And they even looked at some studies citing that the task force cited as well, saying that the median time for initiating treatment for anxiety is 23 years. So people can live with this stuff for a long time before even getting help. That's right. And Part of the reason for issuing these recommendations is simply to raise awareness that this is a common problem. In fact, anxiety disorders are some of the most common mental health illnesses that we face as Americans. It afflicts about 40 million adults each year. And there are treatments, like there are medications, there are various relaxation and desensitization therapies. So there is help available. And This is something that primary care physicians should begin to take on because generally these recommendations, as you said, if they are eventually approved, they do change the way doctors practice medicine in this country. They, They listen to this task force. 
anxiety is just kind of this big term for it. There's much more specific types. They have generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety disorder, panic disorder. There's others, you know, so the, it's kind of important to help narrow it down. And so how does this uh, take effect? Uh, you know, what are the recommendations? They would add questionnaires to some of these check-ins, things like that, because some of these primary Correct. care physicians say this could be pretty burdensome, too, to add another layer. And then beyond that, right, the shortage in this medical fields, right, it could be tough to even service the demand. Right. I talked to a bunch of doctors who question how the recommendations would play out in the real world, right? You mentioned we have these mental health providers who already can't meet patient demand. They're completely swamped. And patients who are waiting months for an appointment with a therapist. So there are the mental health providers. There's that situation. But then there are the primary care doctors who are now going to be tasked with adding yet another screening to their long list of screenings in very short appointments when they are often dealing with patients with incredibly complex medical needs and chronic illness. So one primary care physician said to me, look, if we are asked to screen for one more thing, we are going to break unless we have more resources to deal with this. But, you know, other doctors primary care doctors said, this is really important. If we don't ask about mental health issues, people don't necessarily raise them. And one doctor I talked to said, since 2020, when basically she said all of her patients are anxious, she just routinely says, how's your stress to everyone? Because this is something, as you said, with the pandemic, who doesn't feel stress? And, you know, that stress of obviously there's everyday stress. We all feel that. But then in many cases, it escalates into some of these disorders. Rachel Zimmerman, reporter writing about mental health for The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.